Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for stopping by here today because it's another gem of a conversation. Before I tell you who today's guest is and tease this puppy out, I wanted to let you know about the Print Design Summit coming up on February 17th to 20th. This is a free online summit where we and a bunch of other experts in print and packaging design are all going to come together to teach you the skills that you need to know to create award-winning print and packaging easier, faster, and with more confidence. If you want to get front-of-the-line notice on when this thing opens up, we'll probably let the email list know first, like a day before even, before we get out there and start promoting it, that the doors are open, head to printdesignsummit.com and you can sign up there to get front of the line access and maybe we'll throw some other perks in there. Who knows? Who knows what we'll get up to? But printdesignsummit.com, we've already got an awesome lineup of speakers that is still building. I've already announced six of them on uh, every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Print Design underscore Academy Instagram. I go live and I update what we did and accomplished in the summit the last week. So things that we built, things that we are making, you know, all the work in the background, but also speakers signed on, sponsors signed on, items that we're purchasing or things that we get for prizes, all of that kind of jazz. So check out those updates Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, every Friday on Instagram live until the summit. So it's like 10 weeks away, nine-ish weeks away now. Um, so check those out and head over to printdesignsummit.com to sign up for a front of the line access to that event. Now, today's guest is Dan Greta, a designer and illustrator who I freaking love. The work is incredible. And let me just sort of lay this out how it happened first. I dabble in the odd cigar from time to time throughout the year. And I've always had an appreciation for the cigar labels and packaging. It's always very cool, very unique, very, um, you know, aesthetic to where the cigar is made. Like it always pulls from that heritage and history. Um, and I've always loved it. And on Instagram, I came across Dan's work and he has designed some incredibly intricate cigar packaging and cigar label work. Um, so much so that I had to reach out to him right away and have a conversation with him on the podcast because I didn't really know how this stuff is made, how these super tiny, intricate labels get made and designed. So I thought that would be kind of cool for me to learn and also kind of cool to pass on to you. We also talk about X-Men action figures and other action figures, talk about the printer that he uses for his cigar labels and the story and history behind some of the labels that he's created. Again, as usual, the links to view this stuff will be in the description of this podcast. So while you're listening, hit those links, go to Dan's website, Dan's Instagram, so you can see the projects that we are talking about. And that's enough chatter from me. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. My guest, Mr. Dan Greta. Hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Dan, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. I'm happy to have you here. We've we finally made this happen. We've been back and forth, you know, two or three times trying to line up episode dates and just stuff keeps coming up. But today's the day, man. Today is it. <laughs> yeah. So I first connect, um, basically saw some of your work um, specifically for cigar labels that was posted on Instagram, I believe it was. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, this is super cool. Um, one, a little bit selfishly, because I don't know a whole lot about creating labels that are that intricate down to that size. You know, I'm used to like bigger spirit labels where you're 
doing bigger things. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more about that and creating that. Um, and also, I'm a, a fan of cigars. I dabble in cigars, and I just I like the, the feel and the vibe of cigars. So I really wanted to get into this stuff and just hear it from the designer side. Yeah. Um, yeah, making cigars has been kind of a, or cigar bands has, has been kind of a, a learning curve for me as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I started pretty early on um, after, I think it was right after my first job. So I was just a, a couple of years out of school when I, when I got this client. Um, and it was, it was really exciting for me, but also a little nerve wracking because this was, yeah. this was the first time that I had to kind of cram a lot of details into a small area, but not really knowing uh, limitations. It was a new printer um, and they were overseas. So it's not like I was receiving any kind of physical <laughs> proof. That. So yeah. um, it felt like a lot of risks, but, um, but even looking back at kind of the first things that I did, I feel like they were um, not as intricate as I've been pushing lately now that I have yeah. an idea of printing capabilities. Um, so it's, it's been quite, quite the experience. Okay, I can't wait to get into that and hear a little bit more of like the, the story and lead up to that and, and getting this customer like just two years out of school. That's rad. So let's get into that in just a few minutes here. Um, but first up, let's just like, like who, I feel like I should have a kickoff phrase. Like, Dan, you ready to put ink on paper? Or like, I, I don't know. I feel like I should have <laughs> something like that. But um, let's just start with, you know, tell us about yourself, Dan. Yeah, um, so I am a designer and illustrator. Um, I primarily specialize in branding and packaging. Um, a lot of what I do today um, is in the cigar and alcohol industries. Cool. Um, so most of what I do is is kind of print focused. Mm -hmm. Love that. So you're kind of in. Um, Chad Michael is a gentleman I've inter interviewed a couple of times. He's a cool dude. And um, good guy, and he liked to, to he phrased it as products of indulgence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> products so, that might kill you eventually, um, <laughs> but you're going to enjoy when you get there. Yes, <laughs> we're on the way there, I guess. On the way, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I feel like every I, I shouldn't say every, but a lot of print designers um, kind of always want to get into alcohol. Um, and, and that's kind of where I always wanted to go. And, and I do a lot of alcohol work, but I can't, can't show any of it. Um, yeah. so all of the cigar work I've been lucky enough to, to show and, and publish and, um, cool. and so I get a lot more of it. So give me a little bit of context on how you, how you landed first off as a graphic designer, like did, did, were mom and dad in full support? Was dad a creative director? Like what, what led you to becoming a designer? Um, dad, dad was a CPA. <laughs> um, so, so, but no, they, they were very supportive. My, my mom, I think, um, had more of the artistic abilities. She did more yeah. fine art when she was younger. Um, I think if, if I wanted to go to school to become a, a sculptor, a sculptor, I think my parents may have not been, uh, in favor <laughs> of that, but I think, you know, graphic design seemed like a, uh, a profession that I, you know, could support myself, and mm -hmm. um, and I think they they were totally in support of it. Um, so so I went to school at uh, Philadelphia University um, with a, a focus on graphic design communication, um, and have been doing it since. That's awesome. So when did you graduate? What was the year you graduated? Oh uh, wait. 2008 not to like date yourself that's that's fairly recent you're a young guy yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> that's cool so basically you landed this client in 2010 you've been with them since cool it's, um what about early memories of print so during your your education or even maybe even younger like as a as a kid was there any is there any standout memories of printer packaging that you have yeah i mean there's there's a ton um i I was always just into collecting stuff. Um, I was very big into Marvel. Um, and so one of the, the earlier things that I remember is um, I really liked X-Men figures. Um, and so they would always kind of come in the, um, you know, with the, the card on the back and there would be kind of different artwork that would sometimes be on the front, but on the back there would be kind of that full set of all the figures. Um, and there would always be those couple that were impossible to, to find. Um, mm -hmm. So your only experience of those those uh, couple 
um, that were hard to find were on the back of that card because uh, you would never see them in store. But I, I always remember um, liking the experience of walking into like a collectible store and just seeing that rack of all of the X-Men figures. Um, yeah. uh, so that, that was kind of a big one. And then there were other things like um, I got into Magic the Gathering at a pretty early age. And uh, at the time, it was still kind of in its infancy. So I think they had a few sets out. But um, as a kid with very little internet access um and also there wasn't much on the internet so i'm sure there wasn't a website you could go to to see like what a full set of magic looked like um so every yeah and so every time you would open up a pack of cards you really didn't know what you were getting everything was kind of a new discovery um and one of the things that i i think i really enjoyed about magic was the artwork um and i think they still do it today where they kind of contract different illustrators to create individual cards um but today i feel like they have a very kind of cohesive very kind of fantastical hyper realism sort of look to them whereas back then there were there were some artists with very specific styles every card looked very different um so some of the styles looked very unrefined uh and i i think i liked that aspect of it and i think that's kind of what they're they're missing today um so yeah i guess Figures and, and cards were a couple of the, the big things that I really um, enjoy the experience of, of opening. Yeah, man, Magic the Gathering is like, just. Gr- I feel like it's just growing in popularity. I have um, a friend that's really big into it, and um, my daughter's name is Liliana, or one of my kids is named Liliana. And so there's this, I guess, a card, Liliana Planeswalker, like in the Magic set. Okay. So this friend of mine that's really big into it just came over and showed up with this card. And it was like the first magic card that entered our, <laughs> our house just because none of us were into it. But yeah, like the illustration on it, the design of it, like just really cool stuff. Yeah, um, I I kind of, I still have some of them, but um, I, I think I, I started following what was happening when the pandemic hit because I noticed there were, the card values were just going up like crazy. Um, so every now and then for fun, I'll just go onto eBay and look at the stuff that I used to have and see what it's being sold for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting how that happened. Any particular stingers that you've seen where you're like, why didn't I hang on to that? Yeah. I mean, there, there are some that are in the thousands, um, uh, which yeah, it's a huge bummer, but I think that the collector part of me is more interested in actually, um, acquiring some of these <laughs> Which I'm not. I'm not going to do because that just mm-hmm. feels irresponsible. Um, <laughs> but uh, and I think I, I never really got into Pokemon, but that blew yeah. up too. Um, blew up huge. And actually, here's an interesting stat for you. I don't know if you knew this, but between March 2021 and March 2022, so like really, really recent, um, Pokemon there was nine billion Pokemon cards printed. Wow. Like fresh prints. Like yeah, that's yeah. just a staggering number. And, you know, I don't have the numbers on Magic the Gathering, but I'm sure there was, it's going to be a high number as well of those kind of cards that were produced. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, so Giant Bomb is, is one of the podcasts that I listened to. And I think they were, they were talking about, um, I think, Pokemon cards in, I, th- I want to say it was Target. And I think Target had to stop carrying them because people were just getting a little bit cra- crazy and physical. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't remember the story behind it, but yeah, people are people are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fights in the store over Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what was happening. Hey, if you love it and you're passionate about it, you go, I guess. Right? I guess so. <laughs> so on the sort of um, you know memories or experiences experiences with print or packaging have you had any recent ones that um particularly stood out to you or that you really enjoyed um i haven't i i i feel like a lot of the ones that are more of an experience are the ones that tend to be a lot more wasteful um and i feel like a a hypocrite being in package design uh because i i also want more more real estate to design on um when it comes to releasing some kind of product Mm -hmm. uh you know i I know everybody kind of throws apple out there um 
but I, I just, every time I, I open a new product, I, I kind of cringe at the experience a little bit just because it just feels like it's so overdone. Um, I, I can't really think of anything offhand. Mm-hmm. On the packaging side, though, you're the basically the one of the biggest trends going on right now is sort of converting any sort of plastic bits or inserts or hangers or anything like that that was involved with packaging, um, converting that to you know some sort of paperboard alternative, some sort of um, you know paperboard sleeve or product that is made of you know pressed paper fibers, those sort of things, right? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I think the the trend is is going to change pretty dramatically uh, in the upcoming years. Um, I think there's always going to be room for print on these packages, but it, it might be a little bit more minimal or less components to it. Um, but I'm I'm all for it if it's better for the environment. Then then let's do it. Yeah, and I think you can create something that's still very impactful, has lots of you know, cool, you know, print features and, and great design, but still have it either secondary use packaging. So it's got, you know, another purpose beyond just delivering a product or, you know, something that's extremely recyclable and very earth friendly. I think it's, an, it's totally possible to do that. Yeah, I think so too. It's just going to take time to kind of figure out how that looks. Yeah. Yeah. I think still because it's, you know, really only what, three to five years or so into that movement, there's going to be more and more sustainable options and products created around that purpose of sustainability with packaging. So I think, you know, we're just kind of seeing it in its infancy, but give it another another three to five years and there'll be a lot of options. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to see some big shifts. Love it. Um, what was the very first print project that you were ever a part of? Um, I mean, the, the first one, I guess was, I think it was, it was kind of typesetting, uh, some lines of copy for a local newspaper. Um, when I, when I was in school, I had met one of, um, I met a neighbor that was in the same apartment building and I, I learned that he was a designer, um, and he had a, a company and so he was like, oh, when you graduate, let me know. And so I ran into him again after I graduated, uh, not knowing that his business was in the apartment. Um, and it's this little tiny, like 400 foot studio. And he had another guy working in there. Um, and I, I'm i sure I was wearing like khakis and a button down and dressed professionally. <laughs> yeah. um, and and so I, I popped in there and um, just sat there for a few hours and typeset some stuff. So I guess, uh, Really, that's my first one. It's nothing I'm extremely proud of, but it's <laughs> you don't experience. have that framed. Like I typeset that page, <laughs> or have that up on the wall. Yeah, I know. I should try and track it down. <laughs> but did you still have that moment where you were able to hold a finished copy in your hand, where you could make that connection of, look, I entered this on screen, and here it is now in front of me. I never, I never actually. Um, saw it in person, I, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So, so no. Um, I'm I'm sure he he had a, a copy of it somewhere, but mm-hmm. um, no. Um, the the first one that I actually held in in my hands would would be um, when I was at One Trick Pony, uh, Hard Rock Hotel and Casino was one of their big clients. Okay. Um, so we would do all of these. Um, we would do like an invitation for some kind of event that they were holding. And then this was like on a daily basis, they would have these different events come in. And so um, they would hand out these projects to uh, three different designers and then the client would choose an option and that person would get to kind of execute the, the full collateral. Um, so I guess a hard rock would be the, the first in hand uh, thing that I, I got printed. That's cool. And it was that invitation that you were, you were part of? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I still I have those, um, but I'm not not overly excited about them. But they they were always good about um, you know printing. They would print metallic. They would do uh, letterpress. Um, so they they would spend the money on on stuff. So that was kind of nice. So you kind of had like the opportunity to do some kind of like cool stuff and like play around a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, I, I remember being extremely excited about it. Um, and I think you know you're um, the things that you 
you find exciting or that you strive for kind of change over time. Mm-hmm. So that invitation project um, that you were just talking about there, did that go smoothly? Or um, I guess basically, is there any other or any print project you've been a part of that didn't turn out the way you had hoped, didn't go as expected, went sideways somehow? Um, do you have anything on your resume that, that went that way? Um, no, luckily I, I've been pretty fortunate. I'm also um, pretty OCD about files, so I will look at things three, four times. Um, yeah. I have certain processes that I, I follow to ensure that that doesn't happen. I've definitely heard my fair share of nightmarish stories. Um, some of them funny, some of them not so funny. Um, <laughs> But I, and, and, you know, it's, it's not just one person that's ever responsible. It's usually like a, an entire team that overlooked something small. Um, and so, so stuff definitely happens. I I think, uh, one of the things maybe that I I could talk about, it's not necessarily a mistake, but it's something we're going to try and, um, fix in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for all of the cigar bands that I've been doing, typically we keep one of the side longer than the other. And that way it's flexible on different um, gauge cigars. So yep. if you have something really small, something really large, it works on both. That way it saves costs. Um, and so when I started designing these, um, and I started with Kubo was kind of the, the first project that I started with. And, mm-hmm. and so the, the right side of the band was the longer side. Um, and so I've kind of mixed up whether it's the right or the left side over time. Some bands I have the left side being the longer thing. Um, but what I've learned in the past couple of years is that the people who roll the cigars at the factories, they have, you know, obviously they have their very like streamlined process. Uh, they move quickly. And um, I realized that, uh, and, and my cigar client didn't know this either, but we, we got some boxes where the long side of the band kind of wrapped over the short side. And so from the front, you can't really see anything wrong with it, but on the, the one side, you'll see that it's not seamless. And you'll be like, oh, well, that looks kind of weird. Because um, all of these, you want to be seamless. You want the experience to be nice when you turn around the, the cigar. But some of the boxes were uh, coming with the the longer side going over top the, the shorter side. And what I learned was um, because they have a very specific way of wrapping these, uh, they like to have the ones the I guess it's the left side, um, be the longer side. So, uh, it's something we'll kind of work on in, in the future, but for right now, I think, um, for the most part, it seems like everything is, is how it's supposed to be. Um, but what the, the rollers are doing is they're flipping the cigar upside down and then wrapping it that way. Um, so that kind of, fixes it, but it's something we'll have to kind of correct in the future. So it's fixes it, but just kind of takes them out of their process, their usual process. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's not, it's not like a huge deal, but it's definitely, um, something we'll want to fix. Yeah. And that's a fantastic example. And I love that you brought that up because one of the things when you're creating print, especially with labels, whether it's a beverage label or even like bottle shrink sleeves, different, different things that involve a, a closer to hand application somewhere else, you, you almost need to, to either ask a lot of questions right up front mm-hmm. or have somebody guide you in little details like that that improve the sort of production and flow side. Otherwise, how are you supposed to know that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's one thing, cause I've done, um, like, uh, kind of smaller sized cans, not your, mm-hmm. your standard can, um, where they've wanted to shrink wrap a, a design over it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when in, when in doubt, just ask a, a ton of questions. A ton of questions. We, um, one of the, one of the courses that we put out was the craft beer label design course where we're teaching designers how to do a lot of the unique and quirky things that you can do with shrink sleeves and you can do with different label stocks and stuff. Um, but one of the things that we created was this like customer checklist or questionnaire that really goes over like the role direction that you want these things to, to be produced on. Um, you know, the, any specific adhesive requirements, the conditions that the labels are applied, like all of these questions that 
you know, you might not even think about right up front and you'll just like bang out 10,000 labels and be like, yeah, these look awesome. But then they just can't be applied because it's the wrong adhesive for the can and the conditions or, or all these kind of variables, right? Um, so yeah, that's a great point of really getting into the, like the actual full production side beyond dealing just with the owner or the, the marketing team, get into the production side. Like how are these going to be used? And as a designer, how can I create these in a way that makes that part easier as well? For sure, for sure. Yeah, I, wrapping bottles too. I mean, that's, um, I just the, in the past year, I, I had to kind of go back and forth between the printer and the client um, because mm-hmm. there's, I, I can't even remember all the terms, but there's all kinds of uh, differences in adjusting like the spacing between the front label and the rear label um, yeah. that you have to kind of um, keep in mind. And then there's different roll machines and the printers like to know which machine that they're using to roll to apply the, yep. uh, the labels. So yeah, it's um, a lot can go wrong. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't mean to like take it to like this doom and gloom area um, because it's, it's an easy thing to correct. But if you don't know upfront to ask the questions, to find the information out, you might learn that the hard way first. Yes. And, and that can be really unfortunate. Um, yeah. But, but Hey, it's, Hopefully you don't make that mistake in the future. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so Dan, I want to get into a deep dive on the project that we're here to talk about now, um, which is for the Dapper Cigar Co. Um, you know, as much detail as we can get into, because the whole purpose of this segment of the episode is that a designer listening and, you know, thinking like, yeah, it'd be really cool to create some cigar labels, but having no idea how it even happens. Um, you know, it's how did how did this project come to be? Um, what what types of print were required? What sort of different materials were you designing for? Whether it's a label and a box or, or all of that kind of stuff, and how did you find a vendor and all that kind of jazz? Um, so I'll kind of kick it over to you, and if you want to kind of guide us from the beginning on how it came to be, um, we can just kind of go back and forth there. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so. So Dapper wasn't always Dapper. Um, the guy who runs it, Ian Reith, uh, he, he reached out, um, like I said, kind of right after my, my first, um, maybe it was while I was at my first full-time gig. And yeah. uh, he found me through Logopond, which at the time back in you know, 2009, 2010, uh, there weren't a ton of design networks or communities out there. Um, Logo Pond was kind of the big one, uh, and I, I kind of miss those days because it seemed like it was such a tight-knit community, um, yeah. and if, if you were in it, then I feel like people kind of knew your name, um, and and then Behance was out, I think, but still kind of in its infancy, um, and so I had met Ian through Logo Pond, and I think because I had published maybe a few sort of like vintage logos, he reached out. Um, about doing some, I think it started with just like some online like merchant logos. Uh, and then he reached out about doing a cigar band. So he wanted to create this brand uh, called Kubo. And I, at the time it was impossible to, um, not impossible, but it was really hard to uh, find Cuban cigars um, or to, to acquire them. And, and Kubo was actually a blend that was kind of reminiscent of of uh, Cuban cigars and it okay. gained a lot of popularity. So uh, the focus was to kind of create something that, um, you know, said Cuba. Uh, so we looked at a ton of um, native birds. We looked at architecture. And so we wanted to create kind of a, um, like a modern cigar band. Uh, obviously there are vintage uh, elements to it. And so this this was kind of my first big like freelance print project. Um, so this is where I was kind of on my own. So I was a little nervous about it, but also really excited. Um, and so we we created a a box burn, and so that goes on the the top of it, and it's like I guess it's just kind of heat pressed on there, um, and then the cigar bands. And so luckily I didn't have to find the the vendor for the cigar bands, Ian. Mm-hmm. Um, already had one picked out. They're called Vry Dog, and they're in the Netherlands, and they have been amazing. Um, and if you find a good printer, 
I feel like you can kind of relax a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, they're very good about pointing out any potential issues. Um, I try to call out anything that I'm a little nervous about just to see if they have any reservations. But, um, so we created the cigar band and again, this was kind of like the first time I'm printing something really small. So I didn't really know how it was going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we did two varietals. There was Cubo Claro, which is, kind of this light blue background. And I, I don't know that he's still using this one. And on this one, the the gold foil was actually different than the, the next uh, Cuba Maduro, which is kind of the red background. So yeah. this is actually a gold powder. And we, we learned that we liked this one a lot more. It was a lot brighter, um, it popped. Uh, and so moving forward with all of, um, all of the, the dapper uh, cigars we we've kind of been using this this same gold powder um, so, so, so gold this powder yeah and so it's um I guess it's uh, it's maybe a little bit more sparkly um, it's kind of like every printer that I've worked with they either have a their own pantone or I shouldn't say pantones they have their own gold foils and they'll send you like a sample sheet and you kind of select it or they'll they'll let you choose kind of your pantone um, I'm not sure. I think Frydog has a, a bunch of different foils, but this this kind of gold powder has has been the thing that we we really liked um, the experience of and has worked mm-hmm. the best with our, our products. Um, and so Cuba was was kind of the, the first uh, big project, uh, and and I'm still working with Ian to this day. And so a couple of years after we did Cubo. Um, he reached out about launching four new brands. Okay. And so uh, at the time, I think I was working full time and I, I actually turned it down uh, and I was super bummed, but I uh, I just felt like it was gonna be too much and I was gonna be working on it forever. So uh, a little bit later, he came back and he asked if I would work on two of the four. So um, I ended up working on two of the four and then it ended up being four of the four. But the, <laughs> the first one, um, the first one that I, I of the four that I started with was called El Baracho, yeah. um, and so he he came to me and he wanted to start with a vista, which I had never done before, and it's kind of this traditional style of illustration. Um, and I remember when I accepted the project, I was uh, visiting my parents. I was taking like a five day vacation. And I had a, a mm-hmm. sketch pad with me, so I was like sketching up all these ideas, and I was excited about it. Um, but when it came time to bring it onto the computer and kind of digitize it and try and give it that traditional Vista feel, um, I, I think it really shook my confidence. I was I was really struggling with it, um, so much so that I actually reached out to a real illustrator uh, and I, I asked him for a quote and he came back with uh, what I thought was a very fair price, but it was going to eat up about 95% of the budget for the project. Yeah. So I, I had the dilemma of like, I can, I can kind of do this project for free and I still had to do the, the logo and the rest of the branding for it. Um, so I was like, I can guarantee that I'm going to deliver something great by hiring this guy or I just try it and push through it. Um, and so I think it was the the night before the deadline that I I just kind of powered through it, stayed up really late, and um, this is kind of what I I came up with. Um, and El Baracho means the drunk, so um, <laughs> so I came up with this kind of scene, and I tried to keep keep it fairly traditional looking. I wanted it, this to fit in with other cigar products, um, and. And so I was still a little bit nervous. I remember when I sent the files to the printer, because again, this is the first time I'm dealing with uh, sculptural emboss. This is the first time I'm really kind of setting up um, a file where this also has to work on different size boxes. So I need to make sure that this, this size fits all. Um, you know, I I really don't know what they're going to come back with. So I wasn't feeling like great about it. And then I remember when they finally mailed me a physical sample. Um, I was just over the moon about it. Um, and I, I think, you know, seeing a a digital file is one thing, but holding a a physical piece with, 
gold foils and sculptural embossing just really brings it to a, another level. So I'm just going to pause you there for a second because tell me a little bit about that moment because I talk about that moment a lot in, you know, when you've been working on something on screen for so long and, you know, especially something like this where you're a little bit unsure, you're kind of, you're, you're questioning it, your, your confidence is a little bit shook right now. When you get, you know, whenever that UPS or FedEx envelope arrives with your, with your single sample in it, are you like, are you terrified? Are you excited? Like, is it a combination of all of them? What are you feeling? I, I mean, I can't, I can't remember that moment, but I, I do remember, I think maybe I didn't know exactly what it was. Ian will just send me like boxes of things. So it could be something <laughs> that I worked, worked on like five years ago. Uh, it could just yeah. be a cigar. Um, so I think maybe this came with other things and I, I didn't know it was in there, but I remember just feeling a sense of relief. Um, yeah. But I also, I feel like it gave me confidence to kind of experiment a little bit more, push myself even further. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think back to that that time where I almost hired somebody for it, and maybe that would have mm-hmm. been the smarter move. But I think, I think I, I think my work would look a lot different today had I done that. Yeah, because it's it's those moments of you know pushing yourself through to something that you know you feel you have the skills to do but you're just unfamiliar with and you're just uncertain of yourself you know it's pushing through those moments that really show you yeah i can pull this together i can pull it together yeah yeah and you level up a little exactly um and so and so with el Baracho, um then i kind of worked on the other pieces uh which you know were kind of a a simple monogram. Um, we kept the band pretty straightforward in Vector. I think we are actually going to be revisiting this band, and we're gonna um, we're gonna try and put the character on the band just to make it a little bit more unique. Um, and so, at this point, we we developed a, a new warranty seal for for Dapper, um, and we also decided to revisit Kubo, um, and so. He wanted to do another Vista for Kubo, and mm-hmm. and so with this one, I I think I was pushing um, more in the direction of recreating that vector logo, where it would have mm-hmm. kind of the two birds flanking the building, and just doing kind of a, a super realistic illustration of that. Um, but at this point, um, Dapper had grown a little bit, and there's more of a team, and so we're kind of. Um, you know, we're, we're pulling ideas from, from everyone. And I think the team liked the idea of more doing like a, a town square architectural kind of scene. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of went back to my original research because I had pulled a bunch of imagery from Cuba. So this, this isn't an exact place, but this is more just kind of creating a scene um, based on Cuban architecture. Yeah. And in the original one, if I'm remembering correctly, you had sort of this like steeple like top of a church feature in that right yes got it so you sort of pulled that you know took that from one of the you know the some of the research that you did and just basically expanded on that yeah so it was it was a lot of fun Uh, again kind of um trying to push the boundaries a little bit um obviously i have a a vector file that's just all lines to try and get the perspective correct um and that that was kind of the more time-consuming thing uh, while while creating this and this is kind of where we we flipped back to um, that that first box was a slide top yeah and we we kind of um, went to a hinge style box um, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the the dapper standard at this point yeah so Dan on the boxes you had mentioned earlier that these like burned logos on the top of them are they hand burning that at dapper or do the boxes come like that um so down i believe it's down in nicaragua they have uh they have a a factory down there that i think kind of puts everything together so that's where they roll all the cigars and and so the the brand i i believe it's kind of a plate and it's like a heated thing that you press i haven't actually seen seen one in person so i could be totally off there but i believe that's that's what it is that's cool. At a um, at a print shop that I was working at, 
they we created these like custom sales boxes that we gave out to customers with samples and different things. And we would always do something really unique with them. So there's one time we wrapped it in this cork material and then literally ordered a big branding iron and a few different branding plates, like with our logo, then our contact information. And we're like, like burning these boxes one by one. Um, it was so cool. It's just such a unique thing. And you get, some of them look really good. Some of them are burned a little too much. Some of them like <laughs> burned a little bit off so you don't get the whole logo, but it just added to the, like the charm and the feel like this was done by hand. Yeah, it, it really does. And I, I like the, the kind of experience of it because it's it, like comparing the, the side tape um, to like the brand in the box, there's just such a difference in the quality. And I, I like kind of both those very, mm -hmm. um, you know, different ends of the spectrum. But one of the, one of the things that I, I learned about the branding is you have to be really careful um, because like you're saying, each brand is a little bit different. Yep. Uh, some of the characters can kind of bleed together. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so all of the, the branding that we do on the, the sides and the front of the, the box, um, all of that information needs to be careful, carefully designed uh, so that it doesn't bleed together because you have, you have gauge information. So, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, if there's a 25 count box, then, you know, does that five turn into an eight once, once you kind of brand it? Mm -hmm. um, if there's, you know, uh, a six, we, we had an issue where there was a, I think the number six uh, came in a little too close at the, the top right and yeah. it, it looks like an eight so we had to we had to adjust that so um, so that's just another thing that I'm, I'm aware of moving forward mm -hmm. and I, I tend to kind of customize even even the, the lettering on, on the sides and, and fronts of the boxes yeah so it's almost like the, when you're doing those branding irons um, to brand those boxes like that you have to almost sounds like simplify them or or modify them so that you don't have as much detail as like a print might um, but you still get the the vibe and the feel and the you know, exactly what you're trying to achieve um, with that particular box. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I I love the the look of it, and I I'm really impressed with the amount of detail they can get in it. Mm -hmm. Like the the top of the Cuba boxes, I, I think is really impressive that they're able to get all of those details in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, love it. And that's just a, such a cool touch to things, right? Um, so you had sent along a few other pictures here for me that I'd love to just sort of briefly chat through. Um, are these different, you know, evolutions in the brand or new new particular brands? So, I one thing I'm really bad at is photographing the work that I've done. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like a lot of the images that I have really kind of take things out of context. Um, but this this was La Madrina. This was a, a totally separate brand. So this okay. was um, one of the other four brands that uh, I worked on. Cool. Um, and so for something like this, I went into this with a lot of confidence because I'm just creating fairly simple vector artwork. I mean, I'm cramming a lot in there, but I know it's going to print well. Yeah. Uh, it's minimal colors. Um, so La Madrina was, was one of the other four, and we got to do a band for that, which was also kind of, um, you know, Gold foil is, is where it's yeah. at. People seem to gravitate toward that. So, mm -hmm. uh, especially with, with cigars. So I think pretty much every brand we've done, um, with the exception of a, a couple have, have gold foil. Um, and so we did cigar bands, we did the inside Vista, um, and then we did a brand called Siempre. Um, and again, I, I should have more pictures of this, um, but <laughs> but this was a, another fun one to, to work on. Again, just kind of um, very simple vector artwork compared to the El Baracho Vista, yeah. um, and then Desvalido was was the fourth one. Um, and Des Desvalido was actually one that had some complications. We we learned that um, apparently the the embossing plates were made by hand. I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly what that means if there's a, a machine doing it, but it's done by hand or if somebody's physically going in there and creating these embossed plates. But apparently this plate was done several times to get it right um, because it, this is about, um, I think this one is about like an inch and a quarter tall. So it's wow, very small. small. Um, 
and so and and this one we we did like a larger uh, inside vista for as well um and so th those were kind of the the four big uh dapper projects that i got to work on and then yeah. later we we would do things like union break which was an entirely different project because uh on this one we we didn't do any foil it was um going to be kind of bundled in this craft paper cool. and then he wanted to do a screen print on the craft paper and then kind of a sticker over top for the three different varietals mm -hmm. um, and and this one had complications in the placement of the screen print because it has to be pretty exact on this piece of craft paper and then yep. depending on the person wrapping it if they don't wrap it exactly the same each time that um, print is going to kind of shift yep uh, but this was this was a, a really fun fun project to work on too. That's really cool. And then they come in this big box set. Yes, it is a a massive box that it it comes in. Wow, that's so awesome. So Union Break is sort of meant like to be like the Everyman the Everyman cigar, where the other ones are a little bit more small batch, high end. Is that sort of the division in the brands? Yeah, I th I think this is still. This still is considered more of a premium smoke, but they're much smaller yep. sticks. The idea being that these uh, union factory workers would get a very short period of time. Um, oh, union! And break. so you would, and so you would take a break and smoke this kind of quick cigar, um, and that that was kind of the the concept behind it. I love that. And just for those of you who are listening in the podcast description here, I will also link to places where you can see the visuals for these. And um, I'm also going to post some of these photos to Instagram on the sort of episode uh, post when it goes up. So just keep an eye on that if you want to see what these things look like, because they're pretty damn awesome. So Dan, if I'm hearing you right, you kind of, you didn't really pursue cigar bands like fresh out of like school and your first job you, you didn't really go i want to be a cigar band designer and it, it just kind of happened and you fell in love with it yeah it was it was very organic um it was very it was a very slow uh progression but mm -hmm. i i think maybe 60 percent of the work inquiries i get now are cigar related awesome. um which i only take on a very small portion just because i I, I want to be respectful of the brands that I've done um, and I, I want to make sure because I, I do have kind of a distinct style and I want to make sure if I'm doing any future work, it's not competing with yeah. um, my previous work because I, yeah. I value uh, Depper cigars so much. But but I do take on a handful of, of uh, different cigar projects, but I, I really wanted to get into alcohol. Um, yeah. That's where I thought I was headed uh, and I still do a lot of it, but um, all of the alcohol work that I do right now is, is, uh, confidential. So yeah, I don't get to share it with anybody. Well, hopefully you get some stuff that you can share publicly soon, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I want to slowly sort of wrap this one up. So what advice, Dan, would you give a designer who is, you know, either with a studio or just fresh out of school or something, and they want to get into creating print and packaging, maybe cigar labels, maybe stuff for liquor. Um, what advice would you give them to get started down that path? Um, I think getting it, if you have the opportunity to get a few years of agency experience, um, mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful if you can find an agency that does a variety of of uh, branding work and, and print work, I think that that's also really beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, I see I see a lot of people leave school and go directly to freelance, but I, I think it's kind of a, a disservice to to yourself. Um, I think there's a lot that you can learn from um, from just working with project managers, seeing how they handle clients, and then yeah. just seeing uh, their discussion with with clients and and uh, getting getting some some experience around how to work with printers too, yeah. um, because you're going to have the guidance of, of some kind of um, design director. And I, I think that's really helpful to have. Uh, and that's, that's definitely not the case for everyone. I think uh, you had somebody on from, was it Thinkbold Studio? Yeah. Um, and I think he, he went right to... Went straight to it. Yeah. And does amazing work. Um, so, but I, I do recommend kind of getting some, some agency experience. Yeah, there's definitely some some perks, or pros and cons to every direction, honestly. But there's definitely some pros to that in terms of 
um, you know, a bit like learning some extra things and being around peers that are, you know, can sort of guide you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when you make mistakes, you're kind of making mistakes on someone else's dime a little bit. Yeah. Right. So there's a little bit of that too, like a little bit less pain in the learning curve. Um, yeah. Great advice. So Dan, I want to wrap up here with where can people find you, learn more about the work you're putting out there, the Instagram, the website, all that kind of jazz. Where can people find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is uh, Dan Greta Design. Um, I have a website, dangreta.com, which needs some some updating. Um, <laughs> don't don't they I, all? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I do post a little bit more work on, on Instagram, though I, I seem to be behind on that as well. Awesome. That's great. Dan, thank you so much for being my guest and talking to me a little bit more about this cigar band world that I'm, I even at one point thought about collecting cigar bands just because they were all so intricate and unique and I really like them. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start doing that, but um, thank, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Okay, everybody, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and checking this out. What a fantastic and interesting conversation about a print product that I just really didn't know how it was made and how it was put together. So I loved that learning and just finding out how it's all made. If you want to learn how to create incredible print and packaging, award-winning print and packaging, you want to learn those skills, you got to check out the Print Design Summit. Go to printdesignsummit.com and sign up for the wait line, the list there, and you'll be the front of the line when we kick open those doors. We're currently lining up speakers, and if you want to find out who is in this speaker lineup before we really even put it up on a website for you to view, check out our Instagram lives by following at printdesign underscore academy. And uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, every Friday, we go live and update you on who the speakers are that have signed on that week, who the sponsors are, what the prizes are, and what the heck we've been doing in the background. Kind of like building a summit, documenting, building a summit. That's it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.